Look at verse 18. We did verse 17 this morning. We're going to do 18 through 21, if God permits tonight. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Father, would you bless this time together? Would you magnify and glorify yourself in what you do tonight? May this just be a night where we worship you. In Jesus' name. And all God's children said, you may be seated. Let's look at these verses tonight. I'm going to just tell you up front. (laughs) There's probably nothing I'm going to say tonight that's going to be new to you. Um, but I don't know about y'all, sometimes we just need to, be remem- we need to be reminded of the glorious redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And if you put it in the context of the passage, okay, it really begins to weave and to construct a strong, motivational, affectionate case for why we ought to walk in the holiness of God. Because remember what we've already looked at. We saw a couple weeks ago. As obedient children were not to be conformed or fashioned like our former desires. But he that called us is holy. So we're to be holy as he is holy. And then this morning, if you remember, we began to see as a continuation of that, that as we call upon him in worship, Father, that we'll be reminded of the fact is calling upon him as Father, that our Heavenly Father has no partiality. And as we learned this morning, but every moment of every day, every second of every day, he is judging our works, present active. Now again, I want to say it again in case you wasn't here this morning. Is there going to be a judgment for the believer after? There is. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ. But that's not what verse 17 is saying. Verse 17 is saying that he currently, right now, continuously is judging every work. And he's judging them according to what? To see if our works are in conjunction with his holiness or his son. They're two and one and the same. And then we saw that in light of that, We ought to live our day, live out our life, and conduct ourselves as a sojourner, a foreigner, someone that is not at home in this world. And we're to do it with an awe or a reverence for who he is and what he's done. And then, and, look at the very next verse. He connects us for as much as you know. So he's continuing the thought. And he says, now, here's something else you need to be reminded of. Something else you need to know. 
Now, the way that first phrase is constructed in the Greek, it, it connects back to the end of the previous verse. And so many Greek scholars will translate it this way. As you know, you will continue to live. So in other words, if you are living as a sojourner, if you're living in reverence or awe of who he is, you're only going to do that if you know that you were not redeemed by corruptible things, but by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that I think that is so important about this, and, and a lot of times people say, well, the gospel is only for the lost. No, the gospel is for the saved and the lost. Because the gospel reminds us of what God's done, and the gospel exposes the lost of what they don't have. And so the gospel has a twofold effect on people's lives. Now, let's look at this passage together, and I want you to see it. The certainty of our redemption. Notice verse 18. He's not questioning if they're redeemed. He's just reminding them of how they were redeemed. He says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the traditions from your father. Now, you say, well, what is he saying here? Well, he's giving them a statement of fact. Where does this idea of redeemed come from to start with? Well, it's a picture all the way through the Old Testament. And as you go back to the Old Testament, here's the, the picture that begins to unweave in the Old Testament. I, I like what W.H. Criswell said years ago when he was preaching. He said, the whole Scripture has a scarlet thread of redemption that folds through the Old Scripture. And so you and I need to understand that redemption was always part of the plan of God, always part of the heart of God. Now, in historical significance, and how these that he was writing to would understand this, is from a historical significance, there in those days, and especially in the Old Testament, if you were an individual that had property, and you could not pay the tax or whatever it was, for that property. In other words, you could not pay your bills. Then here's what would take place. It would be more than them foreclosing on the property. What they would do is because it was your property, they said that you had to pay for the property. And so here's what they would do. They would take you and sell you into slavery. And when they sold you into slavery, the only way you could get out of slavery is someone had to stand in your stead and purchase you and purchase and pay off the debt you could not pay. And can I tell you, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ took you and I who were in slavery to sin and who we could not pay the debt that we had against God. Listen, there was nothing we could do to pay the debt against God. And Jesus Christ, here's the glorious thing, He went and stood in your stead, and on Calvary, He stood on the auction block of sin, and He said, this one is mine, and I'm paying it with my own blood and my own life. And now you can be set. 
But notice what you have to be certain about that this text says. The first thing is an insufficient, insufficient price. In other words, in the historical backdrop, when slaves were purchased in this way, they were purchased by silver and gold. But here, Peter is reminding these believers, for as much as you know, as you live, continue to know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. Now you say, well, preacher, everybody knows that. Well, I've got news for you. Not everybody does know that. And you say, well, what do you mean? Every false religion in the world, you have to purchase your own redemption. Now you say, how do you believe that? Well, it's simply this. They state it themselves. If, if you're a Muslim, you have to purchase your own redemption but through several works in which you do. In some cases, by your own suicidal death. If you are Catholic, you have to purchase your redemption by paying penance. If you are of some religions, some cults of the world, you have to, you have to purchase your redemption through flogging or sometimes even by doing areas of service. For instance, if you're Mormon, you have to serve a certain amount of time on the field Go out and you knock on doors. And it's by doing that that you find favor with God and you become redeemed. Matter of fact, you asked uh, Jehovah's Witness this. And this is what they believe. And the Jehovah's Witness, when one walks up to your door, ask them this question. Because their, their statement of belief originally was they are the 144,000 in the book of Revelation. Then they got more than 144,000 members. So guess what? In, listen, you're in trouble when you have to rewrite your doctrine. So they had to go back and rewrite their doctrine. And now it says this, if you are part of the best of the 144,000. So when one comes knocking on your door, ask them, say, are you in the best of the 144,000? Are you on the outside looking in? I'm glad today I can't do anything to purchase my redemption. Listen, Balak had this trouble. If you remember Balak in the Old Testament, he came to Balaam and he said, what must I do to know the righteousness of God? Micah chapter 6, verse 5 through 7. All my people remember now what Balak, the king of Moab, consulted and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. Wherewith, here's what Balak said, wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my own transgression, the fruit of my body for sin of my soul? What must I do? Hey, let me tell you something. There was nothing Balak could do. Because anything man does is an insufficient price. But yet we have people today that fill our churches in America that really believe their goodness, their church attendance, their church membership was all it needed go through a confirmation class was all that was needed to be redeemed. Let me say it again. 
nothing man could do to redeem his old soul. And so what do we find here? You need to know that you're redeemed, yes. But you need to renew how you were redeemed. So not only is it an insufficient price, but it's also, he speaks of an insufficient path. He says, for as much as you know that you were redeemed, not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by the traditions from your fathers. Now you say, well, what specifically is he talking about? Well, some believe that he's talking about Judaism here. Some believe that it was talking about Judaism and the formalism of Judaism or the performance mentality of Judaism. Others believe that the audience primarily is Gentile here and they believe that he's talking about the, 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 the mindset of a Gentile. You say, well, which is it? It really doesn't matter. You say, why? Because they're one and the same. They're one and the same. And you say, well, what do you mean they're one and the same? Because, listen, redemption doesn't just deliver you from sin, doesn't just deliver you from self. Redemption delivers you from religion. Folks, I've said this to you many times. If you're saved today, you do not have religion. You have a relationship. Religion, by definition is performing to appease God. Well, if I couldn't do anything to redeem myself, what makes me think I can do anything to please Him? And by the way, you're not pleased by what you do. You're pleased by His Son. You say, well, the Bible says, he that doesn't have faith cannot please God. Well, I got news for you. Where'd you get the faith? So everything about who we are is about who he is. And so these mindsets of, of religion, these mindsets of performance, and, and I, I'm just going to be honest with you, it's translated this way. He delivers you from the empty way of life. That's the way it's translated. Vain, empty way of life. So all of these religious practices, he says, are just an empty way of life. But folks, a lot of people are still trying to come by religion. And they just don't get that God's not interested in the religious. He's interested in the righteous. But you can't be righteous without Christ. And so this, this becomes the certainty of our redemption. Well, let me show you the second thing, the cost of our redemption. So if I wasn't redeemed by corruptible things as silver and gold, how was I redeemed? But with the precious blood of Christ. Here's the picture. There's a superior provision that was made for you and I. The precious blood of Christ. The word precious means costly. It, it has this idea of more value than anything else. The Bible says that, that Jesus' blood was precious blood. It was costly blood. It was valuable blood. You say, well, what made his blood so sufficient? It's very simple. His blood had never been tainted 
with a sinful nature. How many of you agree today that you and I come out of the bloodline of our fathers? Everything flowed through the blood of the Father. Well, can I tell you today, Jesus didn't have an earthly Father that consumed him or helped conceive him. Jesus Christ had a heavenly Father that the Spirit of God miraculously put in a virgin womb. And when Jesus Christ was born, he was born not of an earthly lineage. He was born of a heavenly lineage. Therefore, his blood was not tainted. Therefore, life is in the blood. And because life is in the blood, only the perfect life of the blood of the Lamb of God could satisfy a holy God. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't do that. You say, why? Because the blood of bulls and goats fall under the curse that God placed when Adam fell and Adam sinned and when God cursed his own creation. And the blood of bulls and goats were tainted. But can I tell you today, the blood of Christ wasn't tainted. And it became, it alone became a superior provision. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. For how much iniquity? I didn't hear you. From how much iniquity? From how much iniquity? Well, preacher, I thought it was okay if I sinned a little bit. And purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous to good works. Now listen, don't get me wrong. You're not going to be sinless perfect. But most people think that they can sin. And they, they go what, what the problem was in Romans. When Paul asked a rhetorical question, shall you continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That's what Paul said. You see, Jesus, through his precious blood, his costly blood, his spotless blood, it was the only thing that would appease a holy God. But not only do you find here, it was a superior provision, but it was a substitutionary provision. You say, preacher, I wish you would not make these long words for me to write in my blanks. <laughs> substitutionary. You say, what do you mean? He took our place watch what it says as a lamb without blemish and without spot what's the lamb a reference to the passover how many agree it was on the blood of the passover lamb that the death angel passed over and so it was on the basis of a substitutionary death that israel and the families of israel were not killed when death came through egypt and can I tell you, it was the substitutionary blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, I want you to listen to me. So the Bible says, he that knew no sin became sin. So what does that mean? Well, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that he became of a fallen nature like you and I. Listen to me. Sin was imputed upon him, but sin was never imparted unto him. In other words, sin, he knew no sin, 
But yet when he became our sin, here's what it means. It means that God did not impart sin into him. God took your sin and mine and just laid it upon him. Just like when they would slay the lamb, here's what they would do. They would lay their hands on the lamb, and on the, on the day of atonement, they would lay their hands on the scapegoat, and they would lay their hands on the atonement, and they, when they would lay their hands on it, they would confess all the laws that they had broken. And it was as if they were taking those broken laws, the sin of a broken law, and they were translating it up on that lamb or up on that scapegoat. And that scapegoat would go far out into the wilderness and by himself would die. That's what Jesus did for you. You say, well, preacher, I don't deserve that. I don't either. But that was the only way. It was the only way. Isaiah 53, verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before his shears is done. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And by the way, when you get to heaven, you want a glimpse of how you're going to praise him in heaven? Go to Revelation 4, Revelation 5. Can I tell you what you're going to sing? Worthy is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Because the redeemed know it's only on the basis of God's lamb that you and I could be saved. You say, well, I thought he was the tribe of, he's going to be the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is! Before he could ever be the lion of the tribe of Judah, he had to become the lamb of God. And Jesus Christ, the lamb, became a spotless sacrifice. Thomas Watson, an old Puritan, he wrote this, and I found this quote, and it absolutely captivated my heart. I want to read it to you. Here's what Thomas Watson said about our redemption. Thomas Watson said this, and I quote, Great was the work of creation, but greater was the work of redemption. He says, it costs more to redeem us than to make us. In the one, there was the speaking of the word. In the other, there was the shedding of the blood of his son. The creation was a work of God's fingers and God's word. But redemption is a work of God's arm and his heart. This is what God did for us. Knowing this, pass your time as a sojourner living in awe of who God is. I want to ask you a question for application's sake. Without raising your hand, how many in here have just lost the wonder and the awe of God's redeeming work in your life. I think sometimes we hear these truths over and over and over again. And it's kind of like the truth. Jesus could come back at any time. Yeah, 
Heard that one for 60 years. Hadn't come back yet. Well, I got news for you. He could come back at any time. And we no longer live on alert. We no longer live watching soberly. Because we've heard it so long, it just goes in one ear, right out the other. Well, my fear is redemption has become the same thing for many of us. We've lost the awe of His redeeming grace to realize what God had to do just that you and I could be brought off the auction block of sin. It's an amazing thing. Well, let me go on. And I want you to look Thirdly, at the consummation of our redemption. Look with me, if you will, at verse 20. Who verily, talking about this Christ, the Lamb, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Let me give you two things real quick. The predetermined pathway. The word foreordained here is not like foreknowledge in verse 2. It's a different word. The word foreordained literally means God predetermined, preplanned that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, would be the only pathway that satisfied a holy God. Turn with me, if you will, real quick to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Here is Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Look with me, if you will, beginning in verse number 22. The Bible says, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by wicked hands and crucified and slain, who God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden by it. Look at verse 23, again. Being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Isaiah 53 says it this way. It pleased him to bruise his son. You say, and what do you mean? Here's what I mean. It means God had this plan before there ever was a was. Can I tell you, God had this plan before Genesis 1-1. Can I tell you, God had this plan before he ever spoke and creation came into existence. And God had this plan before he ever brought Adam out of the dust of the ground and before he brought Eve out of the rib of Adam. Can I tell you that he had this plan before the serpent ever deceived Eve and Adam disobeyed. Can I tell you, he had it planned before there ever was a twinkle in a person's eye. Can I tell you, he had it planned before there ever was. Why? Because God knew the only hope for man was the blood of Jesus Christ. God knew all this. And think about this, folks. All the Scripture, the Bible says that Satan tried to stamp out the seed of a woman. Throwing the kids in the Nile. Herod making the decree in the Gospels to slay all the children when he found out that Jesus was born. And all through, 
Satan tried to stamp out the seed because Satan knew that if the seed of the woman made it, his demise was settled. And yet because it was the predetermined plan of God that Jesus Christ be the only way, the only pathway, you got to tell you something, nothing was going to touch the Son of God. The gospel said this. It says that they tried to kill Jesus multiple times, but here's what it would say in John over and over again. Yet his hour had not yet come. Yet his hour had not yet come. Yet his hour had not yet come. In John chapter 12, Jesus said, I am the grain of wheat. Unless I fall on the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if I die, it will bringeth much fruit. And he says, my hour is now come. It was all set in stone by the predetermined will of God. And nothing was going to thwart the will of God. Because Jesus was our only hope. The predetermined pathway, but it's a present provision. He says, but was made manifest in these last times for you. If all Jesus was was the plan of God from the foundation of the world, but God had never acted upon that plan, aren't you glad? That God allowed Jesus, his son, to come and walk up on this earth, to die your death, to be buried in your tomb, and to raise again. You see, it's a present provision. The Old Testament prophets looked ahead waiting, wondering about the Messiah that would come. Oh, but can I tell you today, we look back and we see the Messiah, He's come. The Messiah, He's lived. The Messiah, He's died. The Messiah, He's rose again. And now, you have redemption. Why? Because of what has already been done where the Old Testament saints were basing their faith on what had not yet been done. And Jesus Christ was manifest. It means to put a spotlight on. It means to show forth. Jesus Christ was manifest for you. Lastly tonight, the consequences of our redemption. Who by Him do believe in God. So what's the source of your faith? You say, well, it's through him. Oh, it's more than just through him. It's by him. Now, is your faith through the Lord? How many agree today? You can't have any faith if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus. But this goes deeper than that. This means who by him do believe in God. So in other words, not only is he the way that I could believe in God, but he is the source of my faith. It's not my faith, it's his faith. I've taught you all this before. Do you remember that God's got to give you faith to be saved? It's a gift of God. 
And so it's by Him that I believe. You go up and talk to people about their salvation. Oh, I believe Jesus died. I believe He rose again. I believe. But have they ever entrusted himself to a person instead of the facts about a person? See, I can know those things and be educated. But to know them is to be surrendered to them. And there's a big difference between the two. Well... Not only the source of our faith, the sufficiency of our faith. What makes the faith that we believe by Him so sufficient? Because God raised Him up from the dead and God gave Him glory. Listen, if Jesus would have stayed in the grave, our faith would have been in vain. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 said? But aren't you glad that Jesus could not stay in the grave? You say, why couldn't He stay in the grave? Because he knew no sin. Lastly, the scope of our faith. He says that your faith and hope might be in God. The word faith here speaks of your consecration of your faith. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say because I think it's one of the most pertinent and important subjects of our day as church folk. Most people's faith is in their own faith. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? Most people, what I call, have faith in faith. In other words, they have faith that they're saved because their faith believe they have faith that they're saved because they have faith they made a profession they have faith that they're saved because they were baptized but listen to me our faith is not in what we've done or our faith our faith is in God so this is your consecration it surrenders you to him listen cannot have biblical faith and not be surrendered to the person of the Lord faith without works is Bible says in the same chapter of James that Satan believes and trembles How many of you remember, I've taught you this a long time ago, how many of y'all remember what the Greek word is for believe? Whosoever believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Pastuo. Would you like to take a guess of what the Greek word is when it says Satan believes and trembles? Pastuo. How can he believe? He's Satan. Oh, listen. He surrendered to the facts that Jesus 
lived upon this earth. He surrendered to the fact that Jesus is God. He surrendered to the fact that Jesus died. He surrendered to the fact that Jesus rose again. You say, how do you know he surrendered to the fact? Because Jesus took the keys of death, hell, and the grave out of his hand. But Satan ain't saved. So it's not you being surrendered to the facts of the Lord. You're surrendered to the person of the Lord. This is your consecration. Lastly, and I'm done. The confidence of our faith. That your faith and hope might be in God. Can I ask you a question today? If the only way I could be reconciled to God was through redemption through the blood of Christ, how many agree that when I'm reconciled to God, I have peace with God? How many agree that if I have faith, then I'm surrendered to Him? So what makes me have hope in Him? Because I've experienced forgiveness and peace with him. I've experienced the faith that allowed me to surrender to him. And now, all my confidence is in the only one that set me free. Imagine a person upon the slave box, tied to the post in the center square of the city. The auctioneer gets up and begins to auction off this individual. People begin to bid. People begin to throw out numbers. And all of a sudden, one person stands tall and bids more than anybody else could bid. Pays a price that nobody else could have paid. How many of you agree that the person that was being auctioned probably does not have, at first, a very good view of that individual that bought her? But then that one gets down off the auction block. And the one that bought purchased the slave. He looks at the slave. And he says, you're free. What do you mean I'm free? You just bought me. Oh, I know. But you see, I bought you that you could be set free and no longer be in slavery. How many agree now that person has confidence and the one that bought her. How do you live as a sojourner? How do you allow yourself to be holy as he is holy? You got to know you were redeemed, but not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb of God. And the day saved you. He set 
you free. Has that ever happened to you? If it has happened to you, have you lost the wonder of what God did? Set me free from what? Sin? Self? He set you free. Father, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. No wonder we can sing, thank you, Jesus, for the blood. No wonder we can sing nothing but the blood. Father, thank you. That the only thing that I could do was to be chained to the sin that I was born in. You made a way and you paid a price to snap the chains of the sin. And I'm free. I'm not free to live how I want to live. I'm free now to obey you. I'm free now to walk in the holiness in which you who are holy has called us. I'm free now to be a sojourner not at home in this world. I'm free now to be an obedient child. I'm free now to never be who I used to be. I'm free. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said,